is humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Dave Franco on his directing debut, The Rental, and his comfort movie, Being John Malkovich. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. We have a returning guest today. We have Mr. Dave Franco, who we've talked to often in the past about his acting exploits, but today we are talking about Dave Franco director. Uh, a big moment for any actor, uh, any human being to step behind the camera and make their directing effort. And Dave is somebody who has been thinking about this for a while, who's, he's been plotting and planning, and he's come out with this uh, really effective new horror thriller called The Rental. It's out on demand. You, should, you guys should really check it out. It is uh, starts with kind of a provocative uh, concept. You know, we've all uh, toyed with or done the Airbnb thing. Uh, but who if anyone, like, why are we trusting ourselves to these uh, to these people we don't know, to these homes we don't know? And could someone be watching from a distance or not so far a distance? And that's kind of the supposition of this uh, uh, really effective new horror thriller uh, co-written by Joe Swanberg, who some of you guys might know for his um, really relationship-based uh, dramas or dramedies. And I think that's what sets this one apart. This one's a bit of a blend of relationship drama and horror thriller, and I think Dave did a great job, and I'm really thrilled for him that he's uh, he's embarked on this new uh, part of his career. Uh, Dave, of course, you know from 21 Jump Street and Neighbors and Scrubs and the Now You See Me films, but you know, always exciting for an actor, especially an actor that I, I personally really like, to um, explore a new side of their career, and I think this is not going to be a one and done. I think we're going to see much more of Dave Franco as a filmmaker, and I welcome it. And by the way, the film stars uh, his his part partner in crime, Alison Brie and Dan Stevens, so it's got some great folks in front of the camera as well. The other aspect of this conversation that I'm so excited about is we're talking about an amazing comfort movie that Dave chose. Uh, he wanted to talk all about Spike Jones, and specifically we decided to go into Being John Malkovich, Spike Jones's feature film directing debut. There you go, another directing debut. And wow, wasn't uh, Being John Malkovich just a groundbreaking one? Another film from 99, we were just talking about Magnolia a few weeks back, again, we're Celebrating 99, which had so many amazing, um, groundbreaking pieces of work. And being John Malkovich certainly fits that bill. Written by Charlie Kaufman, starring uh, John Cusack and Cameron Diaz and Ka the amazing Catherine Keener. And of course, uh, I don't know what superlative to give John Malkovich, but what a performance by him in this mind-bending, high-concept, um, dark comedy, existential drama. How do you, there, there's no way to really define what being John Malkovich was, but uh, I really welcome the opportunity to go back and see this movie again that I hadn't seen in a while. Um, and I think, you know, this one just, just definitely rewards repeat viewing. So if this is a good excuse for you guys to go back and check out being John Malkovich again, then I've done my job here today. Uh, other things to mention quickly, not much else except I do want to mention we have a great new episode of Stir Crazy, thanks to my friends at Comedy Central. We made a, a fun new episode with one of my favorites, Sam Hewen. Uh, you guys that listen to the podcast have heard him here before a couple times. He is always a delight. He's, of course, the star of Outlander and just a charming, funny guy who likes to give me shit, and I like to give him shit back, and we have an interesting, unique dynamic, and it was fun to capture that in the, uh, in the Stir Crazy milieu, and it, it, it was 
was a it was a really uh, a special treat to catch up with Sam, even from a distance. So if you're a fan of Sam Hewen, if you're a fan of mine, definitely check out that new episode of Stir Crazy on Comedy Central's YouTube page and Facebook page. You will not be disappointed. I uh, hope you guys are all staying safe and sane out there. Still crazy times. Get out to vote. Register. Support the candidates that you think are going to take care of our future. You know where I stand. I believe in folks that believe in climate change and racial equality <laughs> and science. So that's where I stand. Uh, I hope you guys are with me, and hopefully we can uh, get the world in a better place come this November. But enough politics. Let's talk entertainment. Let's talk horror. Let's talk being John Malkovich with the one and only Dave Franco. Dave, as you know, I'm not one for formal introductions, but it's uh, it's good to see a familiar face and hear a familiar voice. Welcome back to the podcast in its weird current form. Thank you for having me, man. Seriously, always fun to talk to you. Same, and I'm, I'm glad it's it's coming for an exciting occasion for you. Um, you know, congrats on your feature directing debut. That's got to feel good to hear that. Uh, I know Definitely. what I know what a, a long road these kind of uh, projects can be, and and let alone the first undertaking. Um, Talk to me a little bit about uh, this movie, The Rental, which, um, you know, it's always telling to me, like, where somebody starts a directing career, like what kind of a film they choose or they find. Yeah. Um, what does it say about you that this is where you started? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people know me best from the comedies that I've acted in. And so people are definitely surprised that my directorial debut is a horror film, but... For me, as as a viewer, there's there's nothing I love more than a than a smart genre film. You know, I, I love the work of uh, Ari Aster and Jordan Peele, Amy Simetz, Jeremy Saulnier, all these all these people who are kind of approaching the genre in a in a really tasteful, elevated way, where their films are more kind of nuanced and atmospheric as opposed to a lot of horror films that are j- that lean too heavily on cheap jump scares. Sure. Well, that's the thing about horror that as a genre that I think it's why it's attracted so many skilled filmmakers is it lets you kind of um, use the medium, use sound design, use visuals, yeah. um, and and kind of use all, all that the visual offers, but also lets you kind of bury, or not even bury sometimes, put some really interesting, um, some thematic material in there. I mean, this is a film that's kind of high concept and kind of really simple at its heart um, about, you know, folks that go to like an Airbnb and mm-hmm. think they're being watched and all hell breaks <laughs> loose. And, you know, like the best kind of horror thrillers, it's, yes, it's about the horror on the outside and what's what's out there, but it's as much about these internal dynamics and how they're, yeah. that's really where the horror lies. Yeah, I mean, one of the goals from the beginning was to create a a tense relationship drama where the interpersonal issues between the characters were just as thrilling as the fact that there's a psycho killer lurking in the shadows. And that's part of the reason why I paired up with uh, Joe Swanberg to write it, because his main strengths lie in character and relationships. And so we were like, let's do let's do a genre movie where you actually care about these people, where you're invested in them. So by the time, uh, you know, shit inevitably starts going crazy, you care whether or not they live or die. Right. They're not just like these faceless avatars, like pretty people that just like, who who is this person again? Um, Yeah, you actually are invested in relationships, as you say. So, you know, I've been talking to you forever since your career started. And I mean, I remember like early on, 
it was it was the Funny or Die shorts yeah. that you guys were kind of putting together and really creating. I mean, I assume you were kind of co-directing those in a way, or at least writing them. Yeah. So was this kind of always the part of the grand plan as much as acting to kind of be a participant in the whole process? Yeah, I mean, I was doing those Funny or Die videos over a decade ago, but like you said, uh, me me and my friend, we, we did everything for them. We wrote them, acted in them, directed, edited, and it was... Um, it was a little bit of a film school for, for me, and I've been wanting to take the, the leap to directing a feature for a long time, but candidly, I, I've been a bit nervous. And, um, but then when we, when we wrote this script, uh, I, I actually wasn't originally intending on directing it, but I realized that I knew these characters and the story more intimately than anyone and all of a sudden, like all those fears about taking this next step, they went away. And I was just excited because I just had such a strong idea of what I wanted to do. And so it finally felt like the right time, the right project. How were you on set? Like, did, you, did, the, did the fears dissipate on day one? Or was it like, just were you a nervous wreck that first day or what? No, uh, it's interesting you ask that because once we actually got on set, I realized I knew a lot more than I thought I did because I've been on so many sets throughout my career. And... You know, a lot of first-time directors, when they step on a set, this is their first time right. on any set. I've had that conversation so, so many times. It's always so funny. It's like, yeah, the first film set I ever was on was the one I direct. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> exactly. And so you're just trying to kind of learn the dynamics between all the crew members yeah. and just, like, the basics of how things work. And so uh, I actually felt really comfortable once we were up and running and – uh, it was just nice to have a say in everything where as an actor for the last handful of years, I, I can't help myself. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm really curious about every step of the process. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always talking to the DP and the writers and the director about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I try not to be annoying and I try not to overstep my bounds, right. but it was nice to have a final, have the final say in everything. And uh, ultimately, that is a little bit scary, but where, where uh, you know, everything is riding on my shoulders, and what, if the movie works, that's on me. If it doesn't work, that's on me, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Which, uh, which of the many film sets that you've been on do you think you, you took away the, the most from? Was there a particular filmmaker or filmmaking experience that felt like the, I'm really sponging up like a, a ton of value? Yeah, I, here? I think about... Um, every time I've been on set with uh, Seth Rogen and his crew, because they they have such they or they they, they set such a, a comfortable kind of vibe on set where they really encourage every single person on set to voice their ideas if they think it can help the film in any way. Right. And so ultimately, the the main rule is. Uh, whoever has the best idea, best idea wins. And uh, I definitely took that with me on this film. And I guess the smartest thing I did is I, I really spent a long time vetting the crew uh, because obviously I wanted people who were really talented, but just as important was that I was surrounded by really nice people who were going to work their asses off because as a first time director, I just needed people whose number one priority was this film as opposed to, you know, wanting to go home early to catch the basketball game or whatever. And yeah. in the end, um, it was a really long process putting, putting together the crew, but I was surrounded by all these just very talented 
friendly people who made my job a lot easier than it could have been. Well, I will say, in all honesty, it's it's a really accomplished piece of work. I mean, like often, like a first-time filmmaker, you can kind of feel like it's like, oh, they had to find it in the edit or something, or it mm-hmm. feels like they were really struggling. It, it, it's it, there's a there's there's a a confidence in what you like. I see what you were trying to do, and it seems like you you certainly accomplished it. And and certainly the crew you assembled and the actors you assembled, you obviously have um, Allison in there. You have mm-hmm. Dan Stevens, who I always love. I love the choices he's making in his career. Yeah. He's just all over the place in the best way. <laughs> just, I, I just saw him in the uh, the Will Ferrell comedy, like just oh like, yeah, he steals it right, chewing scenery, but in a in yeah. a great way. <laughs> um, so okay, so as you know, in addition to talking about your your great uh, new work, um, I've been taking this opportunity in recent months on the podcast to talk about movies that we all love, comfort movies, and I've been asking every guest to come on and choose one. I gave you that that tough selection, and and I, I know a filmmaker came to mind first and i made you kind of give the, the real sophie's choice and narrow it down to one though though we can we can talk in general about this guy's career um first talk to me before we get to the actual film selection mm-hmm. where your film tastes were cultivated how they came about was it you know, two older brothers did it come from family friends like where did you kind of like figure out what you liked in movies yeah that's interesting i mean definitely having two older brothers who are uh, five and seven years older than me, I was uh, introduced to R-rated films before I should have been. And so uh, I think that did really inform my sensibilities and really um, made me want to kind of push boundaries. And I was just kind of uh, uh, learning about um, some of these kind of more experimental filmmakers at a time when I didn't fully understand what they were doing, but I was just intrigued by people who were making choices that were outside of the box. Um, And then on top of that, I may have talked to you about this the last time on the podcast, but my my first job was at a, a mom and pop video store when I was 14. And, uh, I, I've always looked young for my age, and so people would come into the store and wonder why this, this nine-year-old-looking boy was behind the counter renting them Silence of the Lambs and, and Basic Instinct. Uh, but they, they basically paid me by allowing me to take home as many movies as I wanted. And, um, and so I remember at the time, and maybe this is a good transition, but... Uh, at the time, movies like uh, Fight Club and Being John Malkovich came out. Uh, this was in 99 when I was 14. And let's just talk about the, the year of 99, actually. Oh, God. Really Crazy. Because I just did, we just did, um, we had Zach Quinto on a week or two ago, and he talked about Magnolia. I mean, there were, yeah. there, there are a dozen movies, if not more, in 99, for whatever reason, um, one of the best years in the history of cinema. It's unbelievable. My friend sent me a list of all the movies from that year, maybe, uh, and, and like, it's it's one iconic movie after the next. Like like you said, Magnolia, Being John Malkovich, uh, Blair Witch Project, Fight Club, Notting Hill, Matrix. Uh, it's it also crosses like every every kind of genre. Like the, the the half dozen movies we just mentioned, you have like Matrix, which is like ultimate like high sci-fi. Yes. Fight Club, which I don't even know what to call that. Mm-hmm. American Beauty, kind of melodrama. Yeah. Uh, Being John American Malkovich. High. Yes, like these, out, like our, our rated comedies. So it's it's it, whatever was in the water. It, that's where it all kind of came together. And and yeah, let's. So okay, so so Spike Jones, Malkovich, you're yes. 15. What does that do to your brain? This yeah, is your, this so is your what, comfort movie pick. <laughs> so watching that movie, like it just opened my mind up to how 
weird and experimental you could get with film and it's it's really had an effect on everything i've done going forward and i think what makes spike jones who he is i think what like his superpower is is that he takes these really fantastical ideas and he grounds them in reality and that's something that i've tried to do with everything i've approached um and uh yeah so, yeah, so you've hit upon a few of my favorite aspects of this film. So, yeah, as you mentioned, this is a Spike Jones feature directing de- debut. He'd obviously, he'd been directing kind of like skateboard videos and music videos, all yes. sorts of smaller things. But even, but- even then with those skate videos, he was so innovative where he had, you know, there was this one video where um, in post he painted out the skateboard. So it looked like everyone was skating on invisible boards. And so he was just really doing some some interesting stuff right from the get-go so this he was uh, about 30 years old when he made this his feature directing mm-hmm. uh, debut uh it's also the first feature produced um based on charlie kaufman the screenwriter right. who is you know worthy of a, of a podcast of his own he's also he's... my my number one favorite screenwriter amazing he's got yeah. a new film he's directed by the way coming out on netflix right i uh, can't wait for that, aware of that. So, okay, so um, the film, for those that don't know, uh, and shame on you if, if you don't, but the, I mean, the summary sounds insane. Uh, it's about an unemployed puppeteer who uh, finds a portal into John Malkovich's brain. Um, as you said, it's kind of like brilliant in that it is like the ultimate of bizarre high concepts, and yet um, the aesthetic, the, the, the tone, um, the world that Spike creates is is almost mundane. It's drab. Yes. It's kind of just like no one makes a big thing of it, or as big a thing as they should about yes, any of this stuff. Definitely. <laughs> um, and I think yeah. I think that makes me think of um, like Kathleen Keener's character. She is she's so cool and aloof, where you know as crazy as things get. She just kind of goes with the flow. And if her character was too logical, she would start questioning everything. Yep. And it would really kind of mess with like the momentum of the whole film. But instead, she just kind of rolls with it and, and just uses all all of it to her own advantage. And I, I really give her a lot of credit for like keeping the momentum of the movie going. She's definitely one of uh, my favorite parts uh, of the movie. She plays Maxine in the film. Uh, John Cusack plays uh, Craig uh, Schwartz, though if you ask um, Mary Kay Place, that's not his name. She can't understand what he's saying. Uh, <laughs> another one of my favorite scenes. And we'll get to that. I'm getting sidetracked already. Cameron Diaz plays Lottie. Of course, John Malkovich plays John Malkovich. Orson Bean is Dr. Lester. Uh, and as I said, Mary Kay Place has a small but important role as Forrest. Mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen pops up as himself. Um, it's it's interesting. It's an early, relatively early, great use, I think, of um, playing off of celebrity and, and image. Um, I feel like nowadays it's it's. I'm guilty of this too. I mean, you know, my sketches. I do a lot, a lot of stuff where like celebs play themselves. But like back then, I don't think it just it, it, it was it was more a novel idea. Uh, and someone particularly like Malkovich, who hadn't um gotten into self-parody by then and right. he's great he's still great but like i think we've seen him now do you know make fun of himself in different ways yeah. um it was just sort of remarkable to see someone as um revered as him go yeah, to these places there's there's a great story about um you know when they were trying to sell the movie and everyone in town recognized that it was this really amazing original script but no one had the balls to step up and actually produce it or finance it 
And uh, I remember there, uh, like Spike Jones talking about taking it to New Line, and the head of New Line, Bob Shea, his his reaction was like, "Can we make it being Tom Cruise?" Right. And uh, <laughs> and Spike Jones talked like endlessly about how. Malkovich was like the perfect person because he was this kind of enigmatic character and because of the mystery you could kind of project anything onto him and I guess they had a list of like 50 actors that like iconic actors that they could have cast in the role or or built the whole movie around but they said that there was not even a second place they were like committed to Malkovich to the point where uh, Spike and Charlie Kaufman, they went off for a year to do rewrites on the script before even approaching Malkovich. So they put all their eggs in that basket and just, you know, prayed that it worked out. Oh, it, it, it worked out so well because, I mean, Malkovich just plays it in such, again, this kind of toned down, like, throwaway role, a uh, 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 performance at first. Like, I mean, I think of the first scenes where he's just like, you're in his head, he's in, he's in the taxi, and he's just sort of like, yeah. Hi, whatever, <laughs> and uh, and then you, you you're in his head again when he's like ordering bath mats. It's yeah, just like it's, the most boring life ever. Well, exactly, <laughs> and going back to what you were saying about just like obsession with celebrity, uh, it's it's these moments like him ordering, yeah, ordering bath mats or just <laughs> eating breakfast, and and these people who are in his in his brain essentially seeing these mundane activities, they come out of it, and they're so enthralled by the simplest things. Right. <laughs> Have you, um, does, does, does the high concept behind this remind you of any, like, have you been in pitch meetings for high concept, like crazy shit? Have you had to kind of, like, go into a room and try to sell a studio or a network on something that felt like, oh, God, if they don't go for this, they're going to think I'm insane? I mean, nothing this far. I don't know if anyone's ever created anything this this crazy, but but in a weird way, it does make me think about um, when we were trying to sell the rental, where you know you can imagine um, when we were when we were trying to sell this movie that isn't a, a, a typical thriller horror movie. There aren't jump scares every few minutes. It's more of a a character piece. It's a slow burn. I was going to say it's a slow burn. I wrote that when I was watching it. I was like, it, it, you know, it, it works because, as you said, you get invested in the characters. But like, if you get right down to like the action, like kind of like the like when it really the shit starts to hit the fan. I don't know what at what minute mark it is, yeah. but it's not in the first twenty or thirty minutes. No, no, no. And so, you know, when we were trying to trying to take it around town, a lot of people, they they just kept trying to they were all a lot of them were interested but they would push us they kept trying to push us down the middle and trying to make the more stereotypical version of it and i just i'd rather not make the movie and so then finally we met with this company black bear and they were just asking the right questions then and they clearly understood what we were trying to do yeah it's 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 uh and certainly 99 for whatever reason like it was an era where the people that had vision were given the tools they were given the proper budgets the 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 license to kind of go to these crazy places and and just trust in 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 their vision i mean like right in the first like 10 minutes like it's iconic now but like the seventh and a half floor is just like such like a bizarre idea 
Oh, so good. I, I love I love that Octavia Spencer is our introduction <laughs> to that. Who knew? Like she's the woman on the elevator that yes. brings into the floor. Fantastic. With the the seventh and a half floor, like I have, uh, I there, there's this book um, called Rebels on the Back Lot, which um, yeah. is incredible about these these directors in the '90s who are kind of shaking things up. And I have all these stories just remembering just from that from that book. Um, and there was one about how when they were filming those scenes you know, everyone had to kind of hunch over as they were walking around. And so when they were on that set for days at a time, everyone started to get real back problems where they had to bring in a chiropractor. And like, there's little tidbits about like, uh, in between in between scenes where Cusack would just remove the uh, the ceiling panel. Uh, <laughs> so his head would be sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> just so he was able to stand up straight. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, I, it's 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 a. Uh, there's so much I love. Okay, so a couple of other random things I want to mention that I just love about this movie. You mentioned one, Catherine Keener's performance. She's so confident. So yes. uh, just um, you know, I love them on their kind of like pseudo first date. She asks uh, you know Cusack what he uh, what he does, and he says I'm a puppeteer, and she just casually screams check. <laughs> uh, perfection, just in delivery. Um, Malkovich's performance. Okay, so the only nomination this got, movie got acting wise was Catherine Keener. I think, in retrospect, like Mal- what Malkovich does in this is kind of he's incredible. Amazing. And what the the moments where I think he's best is when other people are inside of him. Yes. Where like <laughs> later on in the film, that's a weird weird sentence out of context. But like <laughs> later on in the film, when Cusack is like fully taking control of his body, you feel Cusack's essence inside of him. And Absolutely. like, yep. One thing I love about one little detail I love about what Spike Jones did is whenever someone has kind of taken over his body for an extended period of time, Malkovich adopts that person's hairstyle. So when Cusack <laughs> is inside of him, he's got this like long stringy hair. And then uh, when Dr. Lester is inside of him, he has this like gray comb over. <laughs> nice, nice touch. The, yeah, the movie should have won some kind of hair award just for, um, for, for Malkovich's many styles and, and what they did to Cameron Diaz's hair is, is yes. remarkable. Um, I think it all like builds to a crescendo on the Malkovich side of things and kind of like that, that the the Malkovich Malkovich scene for lack of a better oh, term, the, the restaurant scene. And, and just like, again, using very probably pretty simple effects. I don't think yeah. they spent like tens of million dollars on this. And you can even see, frankly, some of them are just, that's not Malkovich, but it exactly. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just, um, you're, you're in the middle. It's probably one of the best approximations of what it must be like to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's gotta be my favorite scene. I mean, uh, even even just to come up with the idea of like what happens when someone goes inside of their own portal, uh, <laughs> it, it's incredible. But like you're saying, yeah, there was um, all, all of the extras. They had they actually made like Malkovich prosthetic masks for them, and like if you look really closely, they're, they they yeah. you know it doesn't really look like him. But <laughs> the camera's moving fast enough that you don't really notice. Exactly. Um, I love the. Um the glimpse of kind of like the the doc that shows up kind of like towards the end of the film of sort of updating us of like what what where Malkovich has when he's become this like puppeteer oh yes, yes and we're yes. seeing we see David Fincher pop up we so see we, we see Sean Penn pop up again it's like it's dosing this out we again we're used to this nowadays where we see a lot of celebrities playing themselves and, and riffing and that's always fun but this like just it it, it doesn't overstay its welcome it does just enough 
um, and it picks the right people. I mean, there's a look from like Brad Pitt on a red carpet. Um, it, it, it just, uh, it's perfection. I love it. it. It really, and it really was, it really was ahead of its time where like, it, it, you know, it still holds up as like one of the most inventive films ever, but like, I feel like people have kind of tried to copy it and take elements of it where um, maybe if it came out today, people wouldn't lose, you know, wouldn't be so taken aback yeah. by it. But at the time, like, they, no one wanted this thing. And like, just like, I, I just respect their persistence of uh, just just being like, this is the film we're making. And there again, there were stories about, uh, you know, the one of the producers seeing early dailies and being like, ah, we, can you brighten it up? Like, yeah. you, it's, it's a dark film and he's mainly using just like lamps to light the scene. And and like another another story about, I think the same producer uh, watching a scene and being like, I thought Cameron Diaz was in this scene, and they're like, that's her. <laughs> Can we do but a good like, job? Yeah. <laughs> they stripped her down and like made her something that people didn't recognize her as, and it's just like taking all these huge swings is just what yeah. I respect more than anything. Do you know Do you know Spike at all? Have Have you crossed paths with him? You know what. It's funny you ask that. I was just looking through my emails yesterday. I was like, I feel like I reached out to him a couple years ago. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed to even look this up. But I did. And um, I basically reached out and said, hey, uh, I just finished watching her. And I just wanted to reach out and say that you're my favorite filmmaker. <laughs> and, you know, if, if there's ever a role that you think I might be right for, even if it's an extra walking in the deep background, I'm your man. <laughs> and um, and he wrote back, and it was very sweet. And he was it was it was you know it was pretty brief, but he was basically like, "Hey, uh, uh, I'm a fan of yours too." Which I'm shocked that he even knew who I was, but I'm a fan of yours too. And yeah, let's you know let's be on the lookout for something. <laughs> um, hey, if he's taking big swings, you got to take your own big swings. Why not? <laughs> very nice of him to even respond. Um, it, it is remarkable to think. I mean, you look at his filmography. Um, I mean, this year he had the Beastie Boys doc, which is great yeah. in its own right. But in terms of like feature narratives, in 20 years, he's only done four. They're all yeah. amazing in their own yeah. ways. Uh, Malkovich adaptation, he followed it up with, which is fantastic. And he's released oh, that one too. Where the Wild Things Are, talk about a big swing, kind of crazy way mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, and her, the most recent film. It's been a while since he's directed a, a narrative, and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see what he has next. He's, he's pretty selective. Um, but they all, I mean, they all are uniquely Spike. No one else can really direct these films. They have such humanity. They are, as you say, grounded. They're all high concept, yeah. yet um, are, they're often about really sad and lonely people. <laughs> it's yeah. all very relatable. We all kind of like feel, we all relate to kind of the people, um, the protagonists in these films, yeah, I think. Even, even with like Where the Wild Things Are, which is technically a kid's movie, uh, I rewatched that recently. And it's, I mean, the, the the ideas in that movie are so complex and like existential that I don't even know if I picked up on most of what was going on and I was just laughing to myself thinking about kids watching it but like just his approach to even something like that where he's just like I'm gonna do it my way and yeah. it's gonna be like nothing you've ever seen before and it might not be for everyone but this is this is my version of it that's the best. That's the kind of filmmaker I know I gravitate towards, too. One, one scene we haven't mentioned. I don't know. I, it sounds like you've read up on this, too. I'm, like, trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And, 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 you know, Spike is a bit of kind of a 
the kind of guy I think that can make up stories from time to time. The uh, the scene where Malkovich is on the turnpike and uh, gets the um, a can thrown at his head. So to hear Spike talk about it on the director's commentary, he says that was a uh, an extra that was loaded, like a drunk extra that just threw. I swear to God. Well, what's interesting about that moment is he's walking down the freeway. And the car is coming from behind him. Yeah. And they say, Yeah, hey, Mal- how would hey, they know Malkovich? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, How did they know that was him? <laughs> so that actually jobs in that story then. It was a loaded extra who was just like, I, Yeah, that, that brings crazy. it all together. That makes sense. <laughs> One of my favorite moments. I mean, really good toss. If that was just an extra, like, nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, I think Spike talked about how they ended up having to pay him because he got a line. So, like, he, he was rewarded for being wasted. Um, amazing. Uh, someone, I, I hadn't heard about this, but apparently when Get Out came out, there were some fan theories that said that Get Out is a sequel to the film, that Catherine Keener's reprising her role. Oh, and, wow. And then Allison Williams is playing the grown-up Emily, uh, a.k.a. Malkovich's oh, daughter. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, Jordan Peele has refuted that, but he also has said that's an amazing theory. Why not? I would like to watch Get Out with that in mind. Exactly. Yeah, I'll get back to you on that. Uh, Let's give out some arbitrary awards for this film. Um, Best performance in being John Malkovich. Who do you give award to? I mean, uh, I want to say Keener or Malkovich, but just for the sake of mixing things up, you know who's really great is the guy who plays Dr. Lester. And he, he, you know, he's not, he doesn't have a huge role, but he has this weird energy from the very beginning where like, he's the type of guy who someone will ask him a question and he'll just look at you for a few seconds <laughs> and then kind of like, start, you know, have this like really kind of goofy grin and it's just like what's going on behind that mind and then the reveal later on that Lester is essentially a vessel like Malkovich and there is someone else inside of him it's like oh that kind of totally makes sense why he was the way he was this whole film right it actually wasn't arbitrary quirkiness uh, that's yeah. Orson Bean the late great Orson Bean in that in that role um we've mentioned a few of our favorites what's the best scene in the film is there one scene that, that rises Ooh. to the I mean, again, for you? realistically, the best scene is when Malkovich goes into his own portal, but I, I really do love the scenes where it's almost um, Malkovich's, like, transformation, where, like, where Cusack's, like, just starting to get a hold on how to control him, and right. so Malkovich, like, has these, like, you know, really kind of jumbled words coming out of his yeah. mouth where he's trying to control him, himself, but, like, Cusack is inside of him trying to talk through him, and there's <laughs> something really brilliant about what Malkovich does in those scenes. Do you have a favorite line or a line that you found yourself quoting over the years? <laughs> yes, it's it's uh, it's a strange one. It's very simple, but um, towards the end, when uh, Charlie Sheen comes over to his place, and Malkovich just says "Machine," and then Charlie's like "Malcatraz." <laughs> Malcatraz. <laughs> I, I, I did take two. Not that I quote this in recent years, but when I was rewatching it, I, it comes very early in the in the film, and it's a throwaway from Cusack. He says, "Nobody's looking for a puppeteer in this world's dry economic climate." It's just <laughs> <laughs> throws it away. Um, this one, I don't think it works for for this particular film. Should there be a remake sequel? Why even bother? This is. I mean, in a weird in a weird way, I do feel like adaptation is somewhat of a sequel to it. Um, well, even as a, I, it's been a while, but isn't doesn't it even reference? Yes, there's a, there, there's like a scene in adaptation where 
they're filming being John Mal- being John Malkovich. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the there's some some movies we've already mentioned. I, I like to program a double feature for the audience. What's a good film to pair with this? Is it adaptation? Is it another Spike movie? Is it definitely? I mean, uh, also I think um, Eternal Sunshine is is a good good movie to pair with another Charlie Kaufman movie, which is yeah. one of my favorites. But I think I think that's a good double feature. I do think. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of you know, as you referenced earlier. Um, there have been a lot of movies in the wake of this movie influenced, whether consciously or unconsciously. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess the most recent example I would say is Sorry to Bother You definitely has mm, a little bit sure. of influence there. Um, it's interesting to see. So 20 years on, it, it definitely still has. Um, yeah, it has influence. Um, so that being John Malkovich, it's, it's, I think I said it's on Hulu. That's where I watched it. Everybody should check it out. It had been a while for me. It's, it stands up. It's just a singular piece of work from Spike Jones. Um, everybody should check out the rental, of course, from the, the new auteur that is Dave Franco. Um, and I, oh, I also want to mention, I haven't seen anything of it, but you have this new, new Quibi show that's coming soon too, right? Yes. Uh, I don't know how much we can talk about it right well, we now. Can, we, but... Well, we, we can say, I mean, I've seen a still of you and Bill Murray. That's, yes. that's, that's yes. a headline right there. So you got to spend some time with Bill. Um, yeah, that, that was incredible. Uh, I mean, he, he's basically everything that you want him to be. Uh, he plays by his own rules to the point where, like, we genuinely didn't know if he was going to show up uh, and, until the day that we were filming those scenes. And did he, did he? Okay, so I, not to make yeah. it about me, but I got to do this weird little cameo in Zombieland Double Tap with Bill. Oh, I spent So I spent a day with him. So I think I have a flavor of what the Bill Murray experience is like. How would just, you describe it? It, it? Very similar. It was sort of like, because um, I was there, like, we were there blocking the day before, and there was a script. And he kind of, in a lovely Bill Murray way, kind of was like, yeah, let's just, uh, let's make it something different. Let's try something yep. out. And it really yep. wasn't the script we ended up doing. And um, with many actors, you'd be like, oh, God. But when you're with Bill Murray, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll try this out. <laughs> Definitely. And you, and you can imagine, like, for me, I, I'm always prepared. But, like, I was overly prepared for these scenes. Sure. And, you know, knew, knew everything, just really, really put a lot of time into it. And then I show up on set. And like you said, he basically threw away the script. And immediately I just realized, I'm like, oh, I gotta forget everything I just prepared and just just kind of just react to whatever he's doing. Right. And it ended up being so fun because every single take he takes you down a different path. And that's just kind of the most exciting kind of act kind of acting. Um I can't wait to check that one out. That's coming soon to Quibi. I'll stay tuned for that one. Um, and you know, big congrats, man. I mean, this is—it's always an accomplishment to get any kind of feature made, let alone a first effort. Um, especially, you know, it's not 1999 where people are taking like big chances and giving big budgets yeah. to films, and like it's tough. It's tougher than ever. It's going to be tougher, sadly, than ever going forward. Um, but you, you know, you did a great job, man. And people should really check out the rental. I hope we see many more directing efforts from you in the future. I appreciate it, man. One one last question I want to ask you yeah. is one one thing I was thinking about, and I promise I'm not thinking about you too often. But <laughs> um, you obviously usually I'm the one that makes it weird. I'm glad somebody <laughs> the tables have turned. What's up? You're obviously such a film lover, and you you essentially study it, and you know what you like about movies and what you don't, and maybe what you would do. And I guess I'm wondering, like, have you ever thought about making your own movies? Oh, provocative. Well, I, you know what, what? Yes. And, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this. My, my brother's a screenwriter and he's yeah, done features yeah. and whatever. And so like, that's certainly part of my DNA too. Um, 
I've, I've kind of scratched that itch, I think, at least thus far, on kind of doing shorts for Comedy Central. And, sure. and I like that format a lot. Like, I've done it for a while, and I've kind of, I feel like I've, like, I know how to do that, that yeah. format. Um, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say that I've got some longer form projects that, I've, that are, like, the dream projects. Like, oh, at one point, that would be cool good, to, to good. take my I'm hand glad to hear that, yeah. Um, so now you've just you've just volunteered yourself to be in a future Josh Horowitz <laughs> sucker. <laughs> All right, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> um, thanks, buddy. It's always fun to geek out with a you know a fellow cinephile. And uh, again, everybody, check out the rental. One last plug, um, and I hope to catch up with you soon in person, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it as always, man. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 